Next on PIJN News, Dr. Chaps reports on these important issues. Today we conclude with part three of our amazing interview with author Dwight Johnson, who has written these books, The Transparent Leader, one and two. Today we're gonna to talk about George W. Bush and several celebrities leading the Christian faith. Former Navy Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt took a stand to defend religious freedom by daring to pray publicly in Jesus' name. Now he helps you by reporting the news, discerning the spirits, and praying the scriptures. Would you pray with us? Here's Dr. Chaps. God bless you in Jesus' name. My name is Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt, Dr. Chaps, and you're watching PIJN News. On today's show, we have part three of our newsmaking interview with my dear friend Dwight Johnson, who is an author and biographer of Christian leaders. In fact, he has known so many Christian celebrities who have gone on to change American history, not just politically, uh, but also in Christian ministry, also in the business community. Dwight Johnson, I wanna welcome you back to the program and talk about your two books here, The Transparent Leader and The Transparent Leader Two. Well, thank you, chaps. It's nice to be with you. And I have just had a, a real pleasure and a privilege of writing uh, the stories of these great men who have been willing to stand up to be counted for Christ in everything they did professionally or personally, in their family lives, in their professional lives. And, and it's just been a privilege to have the opportunity to get to know them well enough and then to allow them to, me, to put their stories in my books. 41 chapters in the two books, 41 very short Christian biographies of business leaders who lead this idea of the transparent leader where you can look through them and see the image of Jesus Christ in the way that they approach leadership. Why was that an interesting topic to you? Well, because so few people are willing to do it. So few people, so few Christians are willing to have the courage of their convictions to stand up to be counted for Christ. And, and then to have business and professional men willing to do that and, and, and do it openly and, and do it in such a manner that we, it bonded us. These 41 guys and I, that's, that was the one common denominator for us. And you were personal friends with just about everybody that you, uh, they allowed you to write a biography of them, a chapter in your book. Talk about our 43rd president of the United States of America, George W. Bush. Well, that's a great story. I was uh, chosen to be the chairman of the Colorado uh, National Business Consortium for Gifted and Talented Children. It was the first and only appointment that Dick Lamb made of a conservative business leader. And there was a, a state chairman for each of the 50, 50 states. And as you know, the uh, vice president and his wife live in the armory back in Washington, D.C. And so they wanted all 50 of us. Reagan had asked George uh, Sr. to uh, be the chairperson of the, of the National Business Consortium of Gifted and Talented Children. And Dick Lamb was the governor of Colorado. And Dick was the, the governor of Colorado, and he had to make an appointment of a, a state chairman. So he asked me if I would do that, and I said I'd be privileged to do that. So I went back. There were 44 of us went back for this meeting, and all the senators and all the congressmen were also there that to Washington, D.C.? Washington, D.C. There were over 700 of us there. And uh, George W. and Laura were there. And uh, so I had a chance to spend a few minutes with them, and get to know their hearts and uh, their tremendous uh, just devotion 
to Jesus. And, and, uh, and we talked about that in spite of the National Business Consortium because there was so much money that was given to special need kids, but there wasn't any money given to, uh, to kids that had incredible gifts and talents. And that's why Reagan started this organization. And this was long before George W. Bush became governor of Texas or was a candidate for president. Oh yeah, but he was just so sweet and so sincere. And, and, uh, and so I really appreciate him. Well then, uh, several years later, we had a big uh, Cinco de Mayo celebration in, in uh, San Diego. We, we all always do that first uh, uh, of May, uh, Cinco de Mayo. And uh, he and Laura came out. And we had a special reception for those of us that were big supporters of, of his. And, uh, and so he came through there, and we renewed our acquaintance as we were visiting. And I said, you know, I pray for you and Laura every day. And he walked on, and he came back, and he said, I just want you to know, Dwight, how much we appreciate that. And so we know, you know, and when I, when I asked uh, Dick Cheney's secretary, who was George W. Bush's secretary's best friend back there, to uh, please ask uh, George W. if we could put his story in my book, and I sent him a copy of the Tom Landry story that we were going to put in the book and the Tom Osborne story that we were going to put in the book so he could see the format. We sent him the story that I put together and uh, his writers, it, it didn't change a word, it didn't change a sentence, didn't change anything about it. Sent it back and said they were really all for it. Well, that was a, that was a mighty nice compliment to us and what we were trying to do. It means do you got it. the story right. <clears throat> but what is his story? What is his testimony of Christ? Well, the big, the big thing in the book that I tried to point out was he, uh, he really did work out hard physically. And, uh, and one night he had, been, uh, he had been drinking so much that he was too sick and he went out and started to run and got so sick he, he came back in and told Laura, he said, uh, I apologize. He said, please forgive me. He says, I will never take another drink. And it's my understanding that he has never taken another drink. All of his years as, as uh, president, all of his years after that time, uh, right up to this time, and all the entertaining that they've had to do and be part of, that's a pretty strong commitment to make. He also talks about uh, a walk on a beach that he had with Billy Graham. Is, am I remembering that right? You are, yeah. And Billy did that with each president. But uh, the first walk that George W. had was when, was when he had done this with his dad and they had gotten so close because uh, George and Barbara Bush were also strong Christians. And, um, and so Billy really came alongside of each president, irrespective of what their party affiliation was, but because he felt that it was so important for those presidents to know that, that, the, that the real initiator of one nation under God was our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that was, that was Billy's target with George W. And it, and it totally impacted his life, and recommitted. He, he was perceived as the evangelical president of our time. I mean, it, has there ever been a president in, in our generation, maybe since your time, that has been more outspoken about his faith in Christ? No, there hasn't. And, and it's my understanding that he and Laura are still taking a lot of their free time and they're going down and they're seeing vets and they're seeing wounded vets and they're spending a great deal of their time and their money reaching out 
to our hurt our hurt warriors who returned from active duty. And that's just one more act of his of his life of, as a Christian. And has a whole chapter in The Transparent Leader about George W. Bush, our 43rd president. When we come back from this short break, we'll talk about Coach Tom Osborne and also Rosie Greer. This is PIJN News, defending your religious freedom. Dr. Chaps will be right back. Take action today. Dr. Chaps needs you to sign an important online petition. Today I want to invite you to sign an important petition to Congress to protect military chaplains, especially their right to pray publicly in Jesus' name. If you remember my story, you know that I was vindicated by Congress in 2006 after I took a principled stand for the right to pray in Jesus' name. I even demanded my own misdemeanor court-martial and finally, Congress agreed with me and reversed the bad Navy policy. But Congress never did pass a positive law to let chaplains pray according to their conscience. Let's take action today for religious freedom. Would you sign that petition with me? Visit PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org. Please visit PrayInJesusName.org and sign today's petition right now. Again, visit PrayInJesusName.org to sign our petition right now. Did you know religious freedom is under fire in our military today? Our troops do not have protection. For example, military chapels are now being desecrated by homosexual wedding ceremonies on bases in all 50 states. Our troops are now also faced punishment if they dare to object to sharing common sleeping quarters or common shower facilities or if chaplains dare to quote the Bible during private counseling that declares that homosexuality is a sin. Nobody in our military should be forced to violate their Christian conscience, especially their right to pray publicly in Jesus' name. Let's take action today for religious freedom. Would you sign a petition with me? Visit PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org. Let's defend religious freedom for our troops. Take action today. Dr. Chaps needs you to sign today's petition right now. Again, visit PrayInJesusName.org to sign our petition right now. Empowering you, the grassroots activist. Here is Dr. Chaps. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Chaps, joined for a couple more segments here uh, of our three-part series with Dwight Johnson, author of The Transparent Leader. Talk about Coach Tom Osborne, uh, Nebraska Cornhuskers and U.S. Congressman. You know this guy. Well, that's a great story. The second annual Fellowship of Christian Athletes Camp in 1957 up at Estes Park. This tall, skinny, redheaded guy comes walking up the path and he says, I'm looking for Dwight Johnson. I said, well, you found him. He said, well, we're supposed to be rooming together this week. So all week, Tom and I shared a cabin together up there at Estes Park, Colorado. Now, you get to know somebody pretty well when you spend a week with them under all sets of circumstances and uh, living in the same cabin, for instance. But Tom, uh, I had Tom come out several times to uh, uh, San Diego to share his faith at our National Day of Prayer functions and our Men with a Purpose functions. And uh, the guy has been so consistent all the years I've known him, going back to 1957. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he came from Hastings, Nebraska. I think that ought to be Osborne, Nebraska, <laughs> because the main, the main street into Hastings, Nebraska is Osborne Avenue. But he is such a humble, sweet guy and so accomplished. And, of course, he followed Bob Devaney, who was a pretty much of a tiger-by-the-tail guy, you know. 
And it was, it was such a huge thing for Tom to share his faith the way he did with all those ardent lums who were out recruiting and out doing all sorts of things to recruit star players, and Tom wouldn't allow anything to do with it. Tom stood, st stood his ground as a Christian in every respect. It was just amazing. And his wife, Nancy, was so supportive of him in that pursuit. And, and so the guys that knew him in the Christian circles and in the athletic circles, in the coaching circles, had so much respect for him. I didn't follow you. He wouldn't allow what to happen. Tom wouldn't allow the kind of recruiting methodology that his predecessor had used. Oh, I see, I see. And that's as far as I want to take it. Yeah, no, that's, that's But fine. suffice it to say, uh, Tom, as, as, a, as an absolutely unconditional, loving Jesus fan, uh, never compromised it for anything. He lived with a standard of integrity that required certain standards and he passed that on to his players. How many uh, national championships did Nebraska win, do you remember? I don't, because he was, just, he was the coach for 25 years. Yeah. And then, after doing such a great job of coaching, they then you know changed leagues from the Big Eight, went to the Big 12, that required uh, stadium capacities that they didn't have in Nebraska. So the, uh, the whole team, the whole University of Nebraska asked Tom to come back as the athletic director because Tom had such a great relationship with the whole community at large and uh, asked him to raise the money to, to extend the capacity of the football stadium from 70-some thousand to 90-some thousand. Oh, my gosh. And then to build a new basketball arena that would house 20-some thousand people because that's... Those were the two requirements that the league, the new league, expected because of all the other teams in the league that already had that capacity. And they sell out. And if you're from Nebraska, uh, you don't root for professional football teams. You root for the Nebraska Cornhuskers college football team. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just unbelievable. And he was elected to Congress. Oh, yeah. He served three terms in Congress, six years. And then he got some bad uh, advice and... Um, and decided uh, that, that a number of guys wanted him to run for governor, and so he did, and he lost. And it was a, it was a it was a sad thing to, for Nebraska. It was a tough for for Tom and Nancy. But too. you write a chapter about him in your book. Talk about Rosie Greer, the professional football player. Well, Rosie, you know, was an All-American at Penn State uh, before he was uh, the great fearsome foursome for Los Angeles Rams, and um, and one of his classmates at Penn State was the city manager, the county manager at San Diego. So he hired Rosie to come down and bridge the gap between the minorities and the Caucasian community in San Diego. And he was there for 10 days a month for three years. And so one of Rosie's mutual friends and mine, who was a senior vice president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Kansas City, asked me if I would reach out and, uh, and help Rosie meet people in San Diego. And so uh, I agreed to do that, and I spent a couple of years, three of the 10 days a month, with Rosie Greer, taking him around town and watching him work. I've never, I have never seen anybody deal so well with people. We'd, we'd be sitting there in a restaurant, and somebody come up, and they'd say, you look exactly like Rosie Greer. Well, he says, that's a good thing, because I am. <laughs> that happened to me once. I got to tell this short story. I was in the Seattle airport, and I'm walking at that time with my girlfriend, uh, Mary, who I later married, uh, and 
we walked by and Mary says, that looks like Rosie Greer. And I said, no way, never gonna happen. I'll bet you breakfast in bed that it's not Rosie Greer. She walks up and he says, I am Rosie Greer. And you're not married yet. So you shouldn't be <laughs> doing breakfast in bed with that woman. So it was a big... <laughs> That's Rosie. He, yeah. was, he was great. That's Rosie. You know, he's only 6'6", about 360. Right. Still. And uh, he and his very blonde wife, Gloria, was such... They were such a, a a team, and then and then you know the devil got interspersed. Rosie was one of five people in the world that had Jackie Onassis Kennedy's phone number, her cell phone, oh. with the understanding that that he could call her seven twenty four. I wow. mean that's how close they were, and you know it was Rosie that wrestled the hand out of the gun out of Sirhan Sirhan, who tried to kill Kennedy, and uh, and when he he was literally. Uh, Kennedy's wife's bodyguard. Bobby Kennedy. Yeah, and threw his body down to protect her and then wrestled that gun out. And, and we tell that in, in, the, in, the, in the book. It's, it's pretty fascinating. But the point is that, that with all of this fame and fortune that Rosie had, he was, he was sold out for Jesus. And of the fam famous fearsome foursome, you know, for the Los Angeles Rams, he had a tremendous influence for Jesus with all of that team. We, that, have, we have just 10 minutes left and we have three more guys. We're not even gonna break for a commercial. Uh, Jim Groen, who is this, Youth for Christ? Jim was the uh, former uh, state director of Youth for Christ in Colorado. And then because he was one of the greatest training directors in the history of Youth for Christ, they asked him to be the president, chairman, and CEO of Youth for Christ in 1990. At the, uh, at the triennial convention that they had throughout the world. They were in 110 countries at that time. Jim asked me to come on his worldwide board in, uh, 1980, in uh, 1977 down at Rio de Janeiro. And so uh, I served with Jim uh, for those 13 years, kind of as his mentor, because uh, each country can only have one board member. So I was a member at large. And, uh, and Jim and I played tennis every week together Sat in the jacuzzi and commiserated, and and, uh, and so I, I was kind of his inside guy. Jim Gruen had such uh, incredible influence on the world leaders of, of, of Christianity and uh, was so well-respected by so many of them for the job that he did with Youth for Christ and Youth for Christ International. And the mission of Youth for Christ is to reach every child one at a time. One at a time. And they wanted one, one young billion for Christ in the world. And that was the, the hue and cry that they did. We would travel to a different country every year for our board meetings uh, because the, the world leadership wanted Jim to come and all of us to come. And uh, what an experience that was for my wife and me uh, to, to be part of that group that prayed uh, in their own native language. The only thing we understood about those prayers was Jesu Christi. Amen. Yeah. Another man that you know, who you became very dear friends with is a guest that we've had on this show. You mentioned him in episode one a couple of days ago. Bill Kennedy, or William R. Kennedy, was a national conservative leader, owned the magazine Conservative Digest, which informed you know, tens of thousands of conservatives during the Reagan administration, and then what happened to Bill Kennedy? Well, uh, as I shared with you earlier in one of our interviews, uh, Tim LaHaye had asked me to spend an hour with Bill uh, 
before I even knew him. And uh, I spent that hour with him. I spent three hours with him that hour. And uh, we went on when Bill was incarcerated for a crime he did not commit, but because he would not lie under oath to an offense that he had not committed, they gave him 20 years in prison. And he served 17 and a half years of that. And I made a covenant with Bill that I would write him every single week. And 938 weeks later, I had written Bill every week just to encourage him. You kept just that doing promise. I kept that covenant, and uh, and as a result, we've gone on to be great friends. I talked to Bill at least twice a month. Still, he moved down to Dallas, where two of his three kids are, and and he and his wife. His wife stayed with him for those seventeen and a half years of incarceration. And I believe he was targeted because of his political views, almost like a political prisoner here in America, uh, and yet. He, because of his faith in Christ, was able to absorb that blow and turn it into something positive, which became a ministry to other prisoners. Absolutely, and I've encouraged him for the last 10 years to write a book. It's an incredible story that needs to be told. And he made the, he, he made the most lemonade out of a bunch of lemons you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. And, just, and still doesn't resent what happened to him. Isn't that amazing? Uh, last author I wanna talk about is Josh McDowell. Oh my goodness. A national evangelist, a big public speaker, but also has written so many books on apologetics, starting with Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Yeah, but my favorite book of all of his, and I've read them all, is More Than a Carpenter. Because it took it right down to Joe Lunchbox and Sam Shovel, guys like me, down in the street. More Than a Carpenter, and what a great title. Josh is uh, still today in his uh, early 70s and uh, is still the, the most sought after speaker in the world, they tell me still. Average uh, audience, 10, 20,000 young people. Wow. And he's brought his son, Sean, in with him now. So that Sean, he's, he's been developing so well that Sean is even able to go out and take speaking engagements as well with himself. But Josh and I go back 50 years. Um, in the kingdom of God when he was with the Campus Crusade for Christ. And it was Bill Bright who encouraged Josh to do his own ministry and helped him get started with it. And uh, Josh has the incredible ability to speak the love of God into other people and the incredible ability to help the, the younger generation understand what having a walk with Christ really means in their lives, what it can mean, what it should mean, what it does mean, if you're willing to do it. And so as I've gotten to know Josh, and, and I had him come down four different times to uh, San Diego to speak uh, at our National Day of Prayer or at our Men with a Purpose Christmas lunch. And uh, each of those four times, he was so succinct in his love for Jesus. And his, his, you know, one of the stories that he told had never been told before. He'd never even shared it with his wife, but he had been molested by the guy, the farm, he, he, Josh grew up on a farm, and, and by the man who ran the farm for his mom and dad from the time he was six until 13. Oh my gosh. And finally, when, when Josh was old enough, he backed this guy into the corner and he told him if he ever touched him again, he'd kill him. And then his dad found out, and of course he terminated the guy. Well, Josh's dad had a tremendous drinking problem. He was a, just an incredible alcoholic. So badly so that when Josh would bring his friends from high school over, he'd lock his dad in the barn because he was so embarrassed 
and he didn't want his friends to see his dad in the stupor condition that he was in most of the time. And then he's gone on to overcome both of those huge, huge deficits deficits in yeah. his life to be such a spokesperson for Jesus Christ <clears throat> through all of his writings and his teachings and his preachings. Guy's an incredible guy. Well, he's probably had to personally practice forgiveness towards those two abusive men that were so hard to him. That's right. And one of them was his dad. And, and How he, tough is that? He does that because that's what Jesus modeled for us when Jesus died for us on the cross. We have just maybe two minutes left, maybe three minutes. Dwight, talk about your faith in Jesus Christ. Why does, why does all this motivate you? Well, when you get to know some of these guys as personally as I have, and you gotta understand, the caveat that I had with each of these 41 guys was, we're gonna put the book together, I'm going to send it to you. You're going to make any additions, adds, subtracts. When it leaves you, it's going to the publisher. And when you start, when you start getting to know them well enough to write their stories, and then you see the kinds of lives that they've led, every time things got rough for me, I turned to Jesus. Every time things were tough for me with my own father, with our own business, with our own contracting industry, the thing that sustained me was the unconditional love that Jesus had for me. Yeah. And I'll tell you, um, we, started, we started that experience up there at the Fellowship <clears throat> Christian Athletes Camp in 1956. Started me on the right road to life. And I never veered off of it because every time I was tempted, Jesus hit me side the head, said, get back in line, young man. Yeah. You know what we're doing. You know why we're doing it together. Your mom and dad patterned that example for you. Live it for and with me. And you do that for your family. Mention your family. My my family. Well, I well I lost my first wife of 52 years in 13. God brought me this saint, Jeanette, who had been widowed for 10 years, and my one of my best friends, an accountant there in San Diego, and his fiance then, now his wife, had an aunt who had been widowed, this Jeanette, for 10 years. And so they thought we ought to meet. And your and kids so we and grandkids? Met, we, started, we started dating. We fell in love and got married in August of, of 14. And we have 19 grandkids, four great-grandkids, and wow. six adult boys. Six and, uh, adult boys. Six adult boys. The Johnsons. The Johnsons. <laughs> the book is The Transparent Leader and The Transparent Leader 2, 41 biographies of Christian conservative leaders. Really... Dwight, it's been an honor to get to know you. Your website, if people want to get this resource. www.transparentleader.com Transparentleader.com Our website is PrayInJesusName.org Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org If you want prayer, call us right now at 866-Obey-God. It's toll-free, 866-O-B-E-Y-G-O-D. I'm Dr. Chaps. Our thanks again to Dwight Johnson. Just an honor to know you, sir. Thank you, Chaps. It's been great to be with you. We'll see you tomorrow. Today I want to invite you to sign an important petition to Congress to protect military chaplains, especially their right to pray publicly in Jesus' name. If you remember my story, you know that I was vindicated by Congress in 2006 after I took a principled stand for the right to pray in Jesus' name. But 
Congress never did pass a positive law to let chaplains pray according to their conscience. Would you sign that petition with me? Let's take action today. Dr. Chaps needs your financial support to stay on the air. Would you please send your best donation today? Please visit PrayInJesusName.org to donate online. Or you can mail a check to Pray In Jesus Name Ministries, Post Office Box 77077, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80970. You can also call us toll free right now at 866-Obey-God. That's 866-O-B-E-Y-G-O-D. Please sign up for our free emails at PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org.